my Leo's at? My name is Raffi. Mm, what's your favorite kitty girl named Paris, y'all? Meow. And this is Wait, Wait Don't, don't do, do It. it. Shall we tell you to Wait. Wait. Give it up for our special guest, Jamie hyphen Martin hyphen Co hyphen Carter hyphen Atalano, honey. Hyphen hyphen hyphen. The hyphen and only. Hyphen soon to be bestseller. Mm. Oh. Exactly. So we are joined today <laughs> on our very special episode of Wait Don't Do It, bringing interviews to YouTube to video. Look how good I look, right? Well, <laughs> let's not be. Let's not act like they don't know him already. Or they don't know you already. Because <laughs> literally, uh, what made you come back <laughs> to this mess? <laughs> so you got to be part of our first interview season and season yes. two of Wait, Don't Do It. Link in bio. And um, be one of our first interviews about uh, gender identity and childhood. Yeah. And now you are back to talk about... An amazing best-selling novel you're writing right now. Oh my gosh, you guys are so. What <laughs> is it called? Tell the people. <laughs> you all are so sweet. Best-selling. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Up and coming for sure. Um, so thank you all so much for having me here today. Um, my book is called Mala and the Mask of Gold, <laughs> <laughs> or Nunu and the Mask of Gold. Go. Might do. It's working novel, so definitely <laughs> could change. Um, but yeah, that's you know excited to talk about my book and becoming a you know author. It's an interesting journey so mm-hmm. far. So, so fill us in. What's changed in season two for you? Oh so. my gosh, a lot <laughs> has changed. A lot has changed. One of the biggest things is that you graduated. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Working nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh my god. Four years as yeah. a business major. Yes. Uh, very prestigious, super super hard, intense program. Ugh. The Smith School. How do you feel? I feel free. I feel like I'm no longer in the clutches of UMD. Love the school. Boss yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We can spell the tea on that. But it's, you know, it was a great ride, roller coaster ride for sure. Had the ups and downs. Um, I don't miss it. But. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you run shit, yeah, you don't miss it, honey. Yeah! <laughs> Period. There you go. I mean, you said it Thank best. You, you said it best. Um, definitely thank you next just happy to start my next chapter in life and just yeah. happy to you know move forward and you know adulting so aside, <laughs> next chapter aside from graduating then what is the next chapter where are you going right so I've been doing a lot of new things um, lately and I'm going to drink my Starbucks coffee because <laughs> I don't know how I'm awake right now <laughs> a lot okay. of hashtag working new, new things yeah working at 9 to 5 yeah you know I definitely started a new full-time role mm. at PepsiCo, and it's a firm. I'm sure many of you know it's a uh, consumer packaged good <laughs> firm, but working full-time as a supply chain associate, so that has been very fun, mm. very interesting, very different from you know my creative side. Mm. Um, outside of like my nine to five, you know, I'm still trying to create content wherever I go, um, whether that's just posting on social media. Um, writing for my book, creating content, or networking with other, you know, creatives, you know, POC creatives out there. Being on um, panels. Being on panels, yes, yes. Um, diversity panels. Um, work. Work, you know. <laughs> work, 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 work. Um, but just trying to seize any opportunity that comes my way mm-hmm. and also trying to, you know, be cognizant of the situations that we're in right now to stay, you know, yeah. dealing with coronavirus and the pandemic, like why? Um, also, of course, with the you know rise of political unrest, 
you know, supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, supporting Pride. But yeah. Um, so you also got to go through yeah. graduation in college, your senior year, yes. during a pandemic. All of us went through a lot during a pandemic, but we didn't really get to hear from the mm-hmm. true class of 2020. Wow. How yeah. was that just feeling, honestly? Oh, goodness. It was definitely... Woo, it was unprecedented times. If I could <laughs> literally take a shot for every time I heard unprecedented times, like... Prince, bring back on. Oh, my gosh. Like, I would be dead. No, just kidding. Um, but it was honestly just... It was tough. It was tough to adjust. Um, I think it was really great because our generation is very used to, like, online learning and virtual learning. So for us to <laughs> leverage, like, the new technologies for sure was – it wasn't that much of an issue. It was just, I guess, how the institution of, like, schools, how they handled handle things. It. So bad. So bad. Like I say that constantly. As, a, as an educator in 2020, yes. it's still a best. It's a best – I can't even. I can't. I think across the board in all industries, especially in education, it has always been a reactive measure to problems and challenges that are not new. Um, Of course, yeah, we haven't seen a pandemic in like years, but you would think that, you know, an institution that large and prestigious should have a contingency plan for yeah. such events. All this money, all this doctors, all this all billions, this you think, but no, they've put students' lives in danger, faculty in danger for the sake of... Now, were they one of the schools that tried to send international students away? They actually, well, they actually tried to fight for international oh, students okay. to stay, okay. which is good. They, expe- I feel like that would be expected from someone UMD, which is yeah. a giant Which is great. Um, but the only thing that I had an issue with that was that I wish that UMD would fight more. You know, I wish in they, general. in general, they should have done this before. Like, this was a reactive measure to the government, right? They've had opportunities. Like, students from international students have spoken so much about issues regarding H1, you know, B1 visas. Yeah. Like, this is not new to them, right? So, it was yeah. really just like a snowball effect. And then when, obviously, coronavirus hit, things got amplified, and then this situation came up, which I'm happy they were there to protect the students, but there should have already been preventative measures to safeguard from such events. Like, if if you're protecting students, right, like... This should have already been some, like I'm like you know the government you know knowing our xenophobic mm-hmm. government is going to you know eventually come mm-hmm. for our you know constituency. What can we do to protect? Right. So take us back to March. What were you thinking as like again graduation yeah. was coming up? What were you feeling like? What did you see? Did you even have a chance to kind of see what was going to happen because mm-hmm. you were getting ready to move? You said. Mm-hmm. So what was your thought process through all this? This transitional period for you. It was honestly just like a shock. I would say. I it was a lot of fear, right? Just fear of the unknown. Um, Which is interesting to hear you say because it's kind of your hallmark is that you do it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of uncertainty for sure. Like, well, the fear is just like, how am I going to do in all my classes? Like, am I going to graduate, right? I, I lost my job, my on-campus job. So, yeah. like, how am I going to, you know, you pay for stuff for myself? Like, I'm so blessed to have my family support. But, yeah. of course, like coming from, you know, immigrant household mm-hmm. and everything. I've always kind of, like, worked for the stuff that I needed. It was definitely, like, difficult, and I, I didn't start my job yet, right, with PepsiCo. It was still months later down the road. Yeah. So, um, unemployment was so hard to 
even oh. do. Like, not you had to file for unemployment, too? I did, but I didn't, it didn't work. So I was going to do it for just a few months before because I was, you know, on campus. I right. lost my job, but it didn't work. So it was totally fine. Um, but, you know, at the end work of the day. for someone. <laughs> I, I, I got my unemployment, honey. Right. Well, good. But you would think, and there were people who definitely needed unemployment and couldn't even Get do it. it. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't, they said, you're not getting it or you're not eligible. eligible back? It just, we just didn't hear back. I think, and it was like a late start. So what happened was a lot of students were very vulnerable from this impact, They're, and especially being an SGA. Um, so I was always hearing a lot of the concerns from um, students who got kicked out of campus, right? So they started kicking people out out of nowhere as if that was the safest like, I don't know who thinks that's safe. homelessness is such a... Yeah. But also, what if the person is out of state? That yes. They would have to get in the plane. Yes. And, and at that point, that's the line was even more. Oh, yes. Students were already in a state of panic, and then having to deal with that and finals, like, I just could not. And then there were professors who were just not at all aware of, like, what was going on emotionally. Just, mm-hmm. like, they would still make things harder. Right, or they would just have the same level of expectation, which was just very inconsiderate. And you know, like, I'm not gonna, there was on the news, right? Um, a student's father had passed away, rest in peace. Oh, yeah, and a teacher was like, Oh, well, sorry, well, well, too bad. Like, how do you respond in an epic, like, a pandemic like that, in a situation like that? Why do you respond with such? So it was just, like, very revealing, honestly, and just a lot of tension and anxiety. Um, but just that's why I'm glad to be out and not have to deal with that. And I'm hoping they've learned a lot from their past mistakes. Yeah. Especially now they're going virtual in the fall. Like, many colleges and schools across right? the country. And there's, like, no excuses at this point for the university. There never was excuses. But they've had ample time to really prepare for a, pl- a strategy and plan that, you know, prioritizes safety first um, and health. Where, whether that's physical, mental, and emotional health um, from the aspect and protecting students from not being kicked out at a random for the sake of legal issues, right? Come well, on. I think it, we have to look at how these institutions like universities and our government, uh, It's what this pandemic has shown, I feel like, is yeah. that America runs on money. <laughs> and yeah. America puts, it, uh, America and the universities, things like this, put their interests first before the students. And again, the students are the reason why these universities are open. Right. Our government is supposed to be a government that works for us, and they don't. So I think if you're standard for our governments down here, then, you know what I'm saying, university is going to be following suit. Right. But the good news is people are... There's no good news. But <laughs> I just think but if you're, you're moving on. I just think if you're a school, you should just really put your students first. Absolutely. That's bottom line. And humans first no matter what you're doing. Exactly. But you're putting yourself and your interests first in currently writing yes. Allah and the, the Mask best. of Gold iconic. Yes. So it's the Virgo in me, I would for, say. For my mask of gold. What is what is this? Are we a mala or are we a salam salem? salem? <laughs> I mean well, yeah, it's a, you know, you as the interpretation to read there, Salem, Salem, Salem. Well, tell us about the characters. Who okay, is, yeah. Yeah. So where, I can give a little just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to say exactly, tell us where this came from. You're writing a whole book. Yeah. At the age of, like, five. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. Well, tell everyone at home, how old are you? 
I'm 16. Just get it. <laughs> and y'all would believe it. And y'all would yeah. 22. Oh, I was about to say 22. I was trying. 22. No. 22. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm old. Well. No, you're not. <laughs> we are old. Can you old. believe that? Old. Stop. Old. 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 Oh, my gosh. So, when we were 22... We weren't doing that. It's <laughs> okay. Cough, cough. Um, and the most aspirations I've had is, you know, maybe writing a book of terrible poems. Like, not that's <laughs> stop. It's okay, dude. Stop. This is not, this is not an intervention for you. It's okay. You're talented. You're beautiful. You know, <laughs> it's just so easy. No. <laughs> but it is really amazing that you're literally writing a book about LGBTQ LGBTQ plus themes. But also mm-hmm. in your own culture, which Rafi had a question about how to say. I want to only yes, address it. Yes, yes. So he was seeing Philippine X, which mm-hmm. is a standard term. Right. Is that a standard term? I didn't know that. So it's like, it's, so like with Latin X, mm-hmm. it's just gender neutral. I got you, because it's Latino, right. Latina. Right. Got you. And, you know, got you. Um, I mean, his, the quick history lesson, you know, the Philippines Hello. was, um, Colonized by Spain. History lesson. <laughs> Quick history lesson. The Philippines was colonized by Spain. Right? No, we know it, honey. Latin X. Um, we ha- we've had not all the Philippines is heavily influenced by um Spain, but mm-hmm. there are certain parts, especially my hometowns of Wanga City, where it's generally you know pretty Hispanic and mixed with different you know cultures okay. like native Filipinx, or um, but mostly mainly. Um, pretty much Hispanic uh, Filipinx people. Um, so it does get confusing, right? Because when you see a lot of Filipinx people, everyone looks different. That's okay because we were not a unified, you know, national yeah. identity originally. We were a bunch of different islands. Yeah. You know, the Philippines was not an identity at the time. It was just islands in, the, in Southeast Asia. Um, so, and then the term, you know, Filipinx came up to be more gender inclusive. And I think it really echoes back to our history and our ancestral history because back then, you know, and one of the reasons why I wrote the book was that um, gender fluidity or transness or gender nonconformity was, you know, existent, especially when it came to regions that were Indianized because um, those islands were influenced by different parts of Asia, right? So just like how there are regions that were heavily influenced by Spain when it was colonized, before the colonization, there were regions that were influenced by India, Indonesia, there were areas influenced heavily by China, known as the Sinified States, Kingdoms. Um, All this culture coming together, and you took the mythologies from it, the uh, the mythological deities who do possess uh, multiple gender identities or expressions, and decided to put this in a book about two siblings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so I wanted to play on that part because... Mainly, I want to celebrate that, again, that notion that gender, you know, nonconformity was celebrated, right? It was seen as something that was powerful. It was seen mm-hmm. as something. the So back then, um, and I think even to this day, um, to this day, and to we've seen it. We've, to this day. <laughs> we've seen it in many cultures, right? Gender expression, whether that's masculinity or femininity, they played more of a role in society. Right. However, that was not, and depending on the, the, of course, the tribe and the area and region, because mm. I don't want to say that this was everyone in the Philippines, right? This is just specific, specific regions, specific cultures. 
um, mainly Indianized kingdoms at the times, um, they placed um, those uh, they placed those notions of gender as um, roles within society to help society. So mainly those who express um, femininity were really connected to yeah. the spiritual world, but femininity was not tied to a certain sex or gender, right? So you could be someone who is gender fluid, right? That didn't exist, right? That term didn't exist, but they they did exist as people, but it wasn't like. You know, there was no <laughs> discursive like yeah. creation of a gender identity. There wasn't a label. Right, right. So, There's no label, exactly, yeah. at the time. But it was more like you okay. existed, you're feminine, we see that you're feminine, and we know that you can reach to the stars, you can reach the spirits, you can speak to the earth the way that we don't understand. So a person like me would be a spiritual deity icon. In a way. Down boots. Yeah. The goddess. Like Got a right? Yeah. Got In a way, yeah. And, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, trans people are magical, but real. Not imaginary, real, right? right. I'm quoting that. I'm quoting that from what I saw on the internet because I don't want to see that content. <laughs> but it's a quote. Um, and it, it holds today true. And I think that theme is so important to talk about because it, to this day, a lot of people who identify as trans or non-binary are treated as non-existent, invalidated as humans, not celebrated to And we just day. have, you know, our administration even coming for a non-cis looking Exactly. Uh, Garzens. Right. Terrible. Right. Coming for the healthcare, right? Coming for employment. It's making survival for folks within the community who identify as trans and non-binary just a lot more harder for folks to survive. Um, and that has just made it you know, very prevalent, especially during right now with coronavirus um, and how obviously it has targeted disparate com- communities. Yeah. Um, especially the black community, especially black queer communities um, and brown communities. Um, so I think the biggest thing with my book was I wanted to kind of showcase or celebrate the, you know, past and how, you know, trans people and non-conforming, gender non-conforming yeah, folks always there. were celebrated. And yeah. we're not seen as, you know, inhuman, but yeah. we're seen as spiritual guides. We're seen as leaders within the community, right? We're God seen as yeah. heroes. And we're not, like, obviously, because obviously at the time Christianity and Catholicism and the, you know, sword and cross from colonization was, was not, <laughs> you know, there. It did not affect them um but that's you know how we've seen time and time again how uh catholicism has affected queerness in different areas has obviously been a prevalent notions in history so it was bringing light to what was already there yeah you have a whole rich history of stories of deities of powerful um experiences that mm-hmm. get lost yes right? yeah and we really get to re- bring it back yeah that was actually gonna be my next question as far as resource material, source material, did it come from, like, stories that your mom told you? Mm-hmm. Did it also take uh, part in research? What, where did you get your inspiration? Where did you get your source material from? That's very great question. Um, y'all come in with the, the good hitters. It's actually a mix of both. <laughs> uh, Don't you forget it. Season four. It's actually a mix of both. Definitely. So my book is, I would say, it's kind of like Percy Jackson, right? So I've got a Lightning thief. Right? But it's kind of like... In the way how it plays with mythology and yeah. using mythology as a setting stone of um, fantasy. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's, in that aspect, it's different because my book plays with Philippine X mythology, plays more. Which we do not get to see right. pretty much 
Oh, do we get to see it at all? I'm, I, like, I'm trying to think of any Well, there, there are Filipinx authors, right, that have mythology, and I can name, like, a bunch of Tan, right? In you know, the link in the bio, honey. Text me them. And yeah, I, 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 you know, there, there's so many, um, and but some, it's, it's not a lot. That's yeah. what the diversity gap is. There could be more, right? There doesn't have to be just the small, like pool of folks. It doesn't have to be a niche. Exactly. Yeah. It shouldn't just be a niche because you know how many Greek mythology <laughs> books are out there. Uh, I was there. about say, two in one year. I was inspired by stories like Percy Jackson. I wanted to really showcase, you know, my culture and my experience because, you know, I was tired of not seeing a hero that looked like me. I was not going to wait for that. So I wrote about it. Um, So I was like, and and my book really goes into pre-historical fiction because that it's pre-colonial, right? And I want to respect the the true or as much as I can the pre-colonial history of right. the Philippines before Philippines even existed. So that's why I try to call it the old world. Like, I don't even refer to it as Philippines. Even though you know it's Philippinex deities, you know it's Philippinex culture, um, it's still, I still want to play it off as, you know, this fictional world right. that is inspired largely right. by the mythologies mm-hmm. of, you know, um, the different cultures and regions around. So it did have to take a lot of research. I did so much research. Well, you mean like books, articles? Articles. Oh, yeah, move so my like, chair. <laughs> Sit like, me straight, Miss I, I hear it hitting. I was like, wait, I'm just going to move it. Uh, I definitely read, I didn't read enough books. Well, the books that inspired me were those fictional books okay. like Percy Jackson, right? Stories like Avatar The Last Airbender. Stories like... No, we don't uh, talk about it because you don't like it and you're a fool. I'm <laughs> not a That'll be a topic for another day. Yeah, I thank you. It's about our right. guest. Nunu's a messy bitch. You know The historical research I did came a lot through online searching through articles, through published works from Philippine universities, from watching a bunch of YouTube videos on history. <laughs> like, I, I learned a lot that the Philippines before it, you know, was colonized, that we used to have kingdoms, mm-hmm. right? That's so important, you know, and I feel like I really wanted to play along that idea within the story. And I think, again, this book needs to be an empowerment thing because we're seeing a lot of political unrest even in the Philippines right now, um, where a lot of the folks who do. Um, there's a saying where they said the Philippines is rich, but the people are poor. And that is very true, right? Where before in the past, the people were pretty much rich. The country was rich. But because of colonization, those effects, you know, feudalism, imperialism, capitalism has done a lot. Um, So I did a lot of research for sure, a lot of interviews with folks. um, And of course, my research is ongoing because I'm still in the revision stages of the book. So I'm always adding stuff. Um, Within the smaller stories of the larger story, I was inspired by stories of my mother. Um, And when I told her I was writing the book, she would tell me her times when she would actually, you know, work with witch doctors in the area, which is funny. We grew up, you know, like... Catholic because of, you know, colonization is yeah. something that was there where Hispanic area within the Philippines. But we had witch doctors that existed. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, some families call them the devil's work. Again, colonizations, you know, consequences of that. Um, is but, there a difference between uh, when you say witch doctor and like a shaman and you're writing? I mean, there's a lot of differences. Like in real life, I would say I don't want to define them on the show because I don't want to <laughs> say anything. I don't want to insult folks. Oh, but no worries. Question didn't happen. Keep going. But <laughs> Cut it out. The idea of witchcraft 
it means different for everyone. I would say shamanism in the Philippines was known as ba, uh, as babelons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or they can be known as kapatids. Kapatids. If I'm saying it wrong, I'm so sorry. Uh, but babelons is like the, one of the terms to identify a shaman. Um, and really, the role of a shaman is to you know be in touch with the spirit world. Um, and be in touch with the physical realm and try and be in communication with the spirits and the physical realm to just have balance. So like right? Janora and Legend of Korra. Exactly. Coming yeah. to Netflix in August. Yeah. I and mean, we've seen shamanism in many cultures. It is across Asia, you know, across Africa, across yeah. all types of... Because it's, you know, the phenomena is real or it's very deep, deeply rooted in cultural um, community healing. And there's a role, right? There's a role on that. Your your role is to be the spiritual healer because of the the fates that we believe in. And at the time, it was like, the the deities were it was animism, so they believed in the spirits, yeah. right? So they needed some sort of facilitator to help facilitate that, yeah. because there could be a, there could be bad spirits, right? That right. are messing around. There could be the evil deities that are looking Voodoo for you, honey, right? Of course, witchcraft. I would say the term was probably created when Spain came colonize and try to basically demonize it yes and say that you what you believe is, is all the devil's work and that's when really the idea came but now i feel like witchcraft is seen as more of an empowerment mm-hmm. yeah. like witch studies i've seen a lot like um there's an instagram called the babylon studies so if anyone's interested i mean i think they say that it's like the witch studies and stuff um but witch is not a negative connotation i think witch just means like in tune with the spirits or in tune with magic right and there's no such thing as a bad witch or a good witch you are just a witch right yeah what makes it good or bad is what you do with those responsibilities and how you act upon that and how you you know leverage your abilities to uh, commune with the spirits so i think it's i mean i think it's a beautiful culture i think it's you know i hope to you know share that type of story because you're writing it right now and as a virgo i'm just wondering like what kind of like anxieties you're having a lot of anxieties (laughs) i mean that's a big project that's has so many parts and so much about editing and revising so i'm wondering what your process is like how do you go about writing a book right now yeah um so i would say well i guess to answer that question i can go into how i even got into this journey in the first place right um and so a professor at georgetown um his name's actually eric koister um he teaches a program called the book creators program okay um so he actually had reached out to me on linkedin and was like, hey. Update your profiles, girl. Update <laughs> your profiles. matters because you never know when opportunity comes through. But he had reached out to me on LinkedIn. And he, like, runs the program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, at first, you know, I was kind of like, what is this? But then, you know, obviously Georgetown. And he showed me that, you know, his, you know, portfolio and work and success stories and being on, like, ABC TV and stuff like that. So I was intrigued, okay? I was intrigued. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he was like, you know, if you don't want to write a book, that's fine. But <clears throat> let's just have a 10-minute call. And he had called me, and he. The, I think the one big question that got me to really think about it was, you know, what would you regret in 10 years? You know, I know you're about to start. Because wow. I told him, I was like, I'm about to start my 9 to 5 mm-hmm. at this, like, Fortune 50 company. I'm going to be busy. And, he, you know, he knew the spiel because, of course, he has other authors right. that are, you know, there are authors who are lawyers, you know, authors who are in law school, authors who work 9 to 5s, too, authors who are full-time students. Um, I mean, maybe you'll. Maybe you can write on You can publish your poetry. You can publish your poems. Uh, we, right? we ask that question because we do write. Uh, yeah. we, we work on our own uh, 
specific screenplay right there now. There you go. There you go. Um, and it, and you it go. is stressful, right? Going back to get the characters, thinking of all these things, but we thought just kind of like you yeah. and friends were like, we got to do something. Yeah. When I see people like us, we want to have content like us. I'm right. Rappy talk about because he was the guy that came up with the idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, it's, it's really inspiring to be quite honest because like yeah. you, like you've been a hustler, you've been working. Mm-hmm. towards something and again here comes a, an opportunity yes and it's almost like America really does gear you to believe that the, you got a job at Pepsi mm-hmm. it's a fortune 500 company you don't need anything else yeah and then it's, it's almost overwhelming to think that a creative project would take time yeah but the influence <clears throat> that you just have right there and mm-hmm. creating a story that has not been told before yeah and, and mainstream media yeah and the, the reach that you're having people mm-hmm. in, in the Philippines are actually buying your book I know already. so the reach that you're getting already so yeah, when you when you go into that, what was your instinct, <clears throat> what was your instinctual feelings besides you know like I don't know if I want this like yeah. the feedback. What was the feedback like? Because that's the hardest part for me as a writer. So me as writing like, and yeah. Then, yeah. So yeah. and I think that goes back to me being a Virgo, right? Like the ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing was like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's so much at stake, and this was pre-corona. So imagine once Corona hit, You're but. Right. I just don't know how the story's going to go. I don't know how things are going to go. But it was... And as a Virgo, that's super anxiety. You know, because I need to know when things are. I need to plan things. (laughs) But then I realized, right, like, it is a creative project. This is an opportunity to tell a story that could really impact a lot of folks and really provide the positive change I want to see in literature. Um, And I realized there was a diversity gap in LGBTQ stories and in the intersections of, you know, Philippinex narratives in the U.S., um, and I wanted to go for it. Like, why not do it? Um, so that's why the biggest thing was em- I wanted to write a, a story that embraces the ambiguity of the adventure because that's how my story started as yeah. an author. But learning to embrace the ambiguities of a creative project and being okay with not having it all right away. But, yeah. 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 That's yeah. just pretty much, you know, life advice. I mean, I think we get taught, you know, from a young age, like, what's your dream job? So, first, first of all, you don't really need to work towards jobs because you're going to change it, especially this Yeah. Um, you should work towards dreams, creative projects, goals. Happiness. Things you just want to do. Happiness. Yeah, the pursuit of mm-hmm. happiness, honey. And, and just like you all uh, being creative, like, doing this, I was like, well, why not? <laughs> just why not? I mean, why not? It, what's it, stopping you? Something you said even rang true to me is uh, because I've been, I used to write... Mm-hmm. TV shows growing up, but like yeah. I wrote my first screenplay when I was eleven, and I felt like because I was not popular in high school, I was uh, mm-hmm. I was bullied and everything. Surprise! <laughs> um, but I realized that I was writing because I was creating my own narrative, and I was putting yeah. myself in situations yeah. that I never felt before. Yeah, and I think as people of color, especially authors, uh, creators. That's why we create. Yep. And besides, besides, okay. like I think some people create for the money, and we know who those kinds of people can be. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but that's okay too. Yeah, you need the bag. You need the bag. It's cute. It's cute. But I think something that really holds true in the spirit behind your work comes from yeah. wanting to see yourself, wanting to see like a story that you didn't grow up and that people, like I said, in the Philippines right now are gonna relate to, yeah. see, and be inspired Hopefully. to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just. Re, you're almost redefining um, what it means to be Filipino, Filipinex, Filipina. It's, I know. It's, it's just beautiful. I mean, you're here, you're doing it, you're living, <laughs> you're breathing. That's it. That's just, cr- I mean, I'm always amazed and I met you four years ago. Mm-hmm. It's been four years. I know, four years, y'all. 
And you still have the same energy as the kid. In orientation, and every time you just do keep doing more and more and more, and that's yeah. what it is. How do people ask how do you do it? You just do it. Yeah. You take opportunities. And like, work. also, I thought about too because like. What if I did fail? Right? That was another thing, too. What if I did fail? Okay, I failed. You wrote a book. Right? Okay, yeah. I wrote a book, yeah. but I didn't fail. Right? Yeah. And I'm still going about no, it. You wrote a book. But you already won. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what, anyway. what if I failed, though? But at least I tried. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, okay. I tried to get into the process. And if I realized it wasn't for me, at least I knew that I won't regret it in 10 years. Yeah. Right? Like, 10 years, I really thought about, like, I'm going to regret not doing this. Yeah. I'm going to regret not trying. Mm-hmm. Especially during this time. It's unprecedented, yeah. unprecedented time of uh, just being... In our houses and having that extra time. Yeah. Um, in addition to work, I mean, I work a nine to five as well, but yeah. you can still find time to just keep going because, well, so you Wow. I listen to music when I write because that cross, like, that gives me a yeah. visual. I'm an auditory person. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Wait, are you writing? Are you listening? Are you quiet? What yeah. is that? Oh. What's that writing uh, process? Are you lying? Something that definitely depends on my mood. I would say. If I'm feeling calm and I'm feeling in a, I'm in a good state of writing and I just want some calm music, I'll play just you know R and B. Just Make a stallion. <laughs> no, I do play Meg. I do play Meg, but I'll play like a lot. Like some of like my influences are like from like the weekend. I love listening to the weekend's voice. Come on, Abel. You know Beyonce. Her voice is like beautiful. Um, sometimes I'll just like go and listen to Janae Aiko. Um, and just really try to have a calming, you know, you know, Frank Ocean, Kalani Sesh, and just really be in into the world because they're very in touch with their spirits That's and true. In, in artistry, and they are really, really, you know, they help me feel a lot safer when I'm when I'm writing and I, I don't feel like judgment. Like I just feel like okay, I'm in my emotions, so let's just go and do it. But then there are times where I do hate my writing. I think many authors. I can agree with this. And you as writers, screenplay writers, freaking hate it. Um, And I just want to give up and just be like, I suck. I suck. And I need to then realize, okay, this is just my emotions at this moment. I need to amp myself up and I just need to do something. And then that's when I listen to to Meg. You know, that's when I listen to Sweetie, uh, City Girls. You know, I'd listen to rap music. Um, I'll listen to people who are really lively. Um... I'll even listen to pop music, sometimes like Charlie XCX, you know, just like whatever's going to pump me at the time when I'm writing just to make me feel good about myself because I'm not feeling good at the mm. moment. Um, and I need to accept, I think writers need to accept that part of the process to the painful realities of not liking the draft. <laughs> was, right? There's always two writers. There's the yeah. tour and then there's you. And it takes yeah. a while. That writer's block always is the thing that for me is like the questioning of your It's writing. horrible. I hate and, writer's yeah. block. Yeah. It's about, I always like read it out loud and I give myself mm. a whole, like I give myself a whole fantasy. I start like yeah. thinking out in my head. And then if it sounds choppy, that's where I'll like pull back. Yeah. So that's all I always do too is like going like to the opposite. Back. I like write and I don't go back to it. I hate everything I've ever written. Yeah. At first, you didn't watch the episodes because I, I understand that though because you don't want you just want to know it to what you experienced it like, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, I just want to remember my experience on Drag Race, not my yeah. actual. Drag yeah. <laughs> Whatever, never what I actually did. And so, are you experienced? Are you influenced at all by all this anime that we that we watch? Oh, for sure. Yes, uh, I'm influenced by you know Hunter Hunter. Um, stories. I cannot wait. I love because <laughs> we have such different anime tastes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, 
And uh, we actually are going through, me and Prince are going through watching Naruto again. Just I because love it's Naruto. terrible, right? It's the worst show ever. Uh, no. No, no, no. These are facts. No. It's one of the best shows ever. I don't agree. It, it's everything's bad. <laughs> It's because five. I'm not a shown. I realize I'm like not a shown in anime. Like anything that's like a male protagonist, I can't True. relate. And that's fine. Yeah. And I just I can't. But you give me like a Chobits, a Sailor Moon, anything. But a Whisker Away on Netflix. Have you seen that? Which one? A Whisker Away. Mm-mm. It's better than any Ghibli movie. I'm not gonna lie. Like I love Ghibli Ooh, movies, and I watched that, and I was like, they got emotion. She cried. Right. There we go. I was like, I was like. It's better like your name. Like it was like up there. Honey. There we go. Okay, that's on the queue. It was up there. That's on the queue for sure. But yeah, so which animations are you inspired by? I don't know where I'm Doctor. I was about to do. I would say. I would say, well, it's not anime, but definitely Avatar: The Last Airbender, which was influenced largely by a lot of Asian cultures. Um, I think even some Filipino cultures. When we saw the Sun Warriors and um, yeah, do you relate to? Are you are you identify as an Earthbender? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you do. I mean, this is a, a Barong, so it's like um, Filipino. Also, Virgo. Oh yeah, I get them. They're so because Prince is Virgo. He's like, I'm not an airbender. I'm like a waterbender. I'm, I'm like, earth. Uh, yeah. I'm Earth for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm like Tom Bay Fong. If anything, you're, you're like the opposite. You're like Sue. You're like Lynn. You're like. What? I'm like okay. I'm like. <laughs> I'm tough, but with Katara's personality. Yeah. So if, ta- if Katara could earthbend. Literally, okay. I yeah, get if that. If Katara could earthbend, I would be Katara. Um, I was influenced, you know, largely by Hunter Hunter. That was another really good one. Um, <laughs> don't like not, oh, But anything with adventure, right, and anything with... But that was what anime was. It was literally just basically boys going on a long adventure. Like One Piece, Hunter Hunter, Bleak. Right. I mean, that's what it is. I was well, and then of course I was, you know, card captor Sakura. Got a, one of my first ever animes to watch in top ten. Card captor Sakura was really dope. Um, I would even say Black Lagoon. I know it's weird. People are like, well, that's nothing to do. Black Lagoon is like a dark um, yeah. anime, but the historical fiction aspect is what inspired me to write historical fiction. Yes, because obviously they were looking at real elements um, in the past. And they were able to still make it work with the fictional world that they did. Yeah. They created a fictional world, but it was in a real setting, you know? So that made it great for me to see that you can do that. Uh, Moana, another great example. Another great inspirational movie yes. and animation that inspired me. Especially when telling stories of the islands and talking about the deities and stuff. Um, wow. Yeah. I so those that. are just a few. So here, we don't do it. You can do anything you want. Yeah. Uh, what do you want your readers to get from the story? Where do you, where, what do you want them to feel after the story? What do you want them to take away from your message? Final big question. <laughs> well, I've definitely, you know, the story plays along a lot within Filipinx culture, within gender identity. Um, you know, it doesn't really go into, I, I don't know yet. We'll see. Well, okay. I would say the biggest thing I want for a reader who reads my story is that I want them to one day be inspired to own their own story, right? I want them to be like, they can be the hero of their own story one day, any day. Um, I want them to really resonate with the characters, even if it's like not like them. I want them to still, you know, want root for them in a way that, you know, works for them in a way that they built a relationship with those characters. So at the end, at the end of the day, I'm the author, but my writing does not dictate how a reader perceives anything. So I want the story, the fantasy, the world to really inspire folks to be 
away from the the, the hate and the, the you know what we're we're dealing with right now the mundanes of life um but to also be inspired to you know really own their journey embrace the ambiguities of life and to be okay with not being okay sometimes you know and being being real with you know our flaw. i think you know one of the things i got from the percy jackson series recording great author was that he was able to spin his story his characters as they had flaws but these flaws were gifts mm-hmm. right and we've seen that in many stories like you know that type of like line and so that really inspired me where when i grew up when i was growing up trying to deal with my sexuality my queerness my gender identity i did see it as something where because i felt different i felt like i was weak you know i felt a lot of pain um especially from society and how society treated me when i came out uh but that that pain is not flaw right that pain can be a source of power um and that pain can eventually you know teach others to learn too so there's also that learning opportunity for folks um so i wanted to kind of showcase that in the relationship between salem and mala because obviously like salem is like the cisgender older you know brother but doesn't you know has always loved mala as a, you know as their brother when mala was younger but doesn't you know you don't understand because gender identity is not something that's talked about so how are we go how is salem going to you know learn to accept mala and their gender fluidity with kind of like how they are so that journey is going to be you know pretty interesting um with their and it relates back to my you know relationship with my brother because i have an older brother right um at the beginning we did not like each other at the beginning if anything i think he like you know we were just it was just very painful but i think it's because of just a lot of factors from moving away from home and um just trying to deal with growing up but now we're like best of friends Mm -hmm. right there's a learning opportunity i think um I really want to showcase in the power of siblinghood um, and understanding that those obstacles in life, sometimes they have to be there um, to get to the bigger picture, to get to the, the journey and destiny that we need to be. Let me tell you, they're going to get that just like they're going to get it from this I interview. I hope so. I hope so. Because this has been, again, another just enlightening yeah. dialogue around everything. I'm just, I just keep yeah. going back to... When you were in my office and invited, yeah. like now it's just—I mean, the growth, the way yeah. you speak about it, the passion, and the way yeah. you just articulate really specific points that are going to impact not only the Filipino community but mm-hmm. the LGBT community mm-hmm. is nothing short of amazing. And I think too, it's really big because one of the the fun and what makes this writing process worth it is I've heard from my titas, right, which are aunties, right, in the Philippines, where they would be like, I bought your book, right, I bought five for the, the siblings yeah. or the cousins. And they're like, you know, one of my, you know, your cousins, one of your daughters came out, right? You know, that means so much because then it's like, wow, you're going there as a mother to support your child, right? And you're, it, it really shows because even in the Filipino community, even though there's so many people who identify as LGBTQ+, um, it's still not accepted right. in everyone and everywhere. Um, and so that's why I really want to tie these two intersections together to empower folks in my community who deal with that every day. But to see, you know, the Tita support it and to buy this book for their kids, yeah. right? Or at least trying, like, this one person, um, she's Vietnamese, so she's not Philippines, but she bought it because she was, you know, my cousin came out as queer and I wanted to learn more, you know, about it, you mm-hmm. know? I was like, oh my God, thank uh, you. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, and, you know, 
that's what makes it worth it. Because then it's like, well, I'm, I am making an impact then, right? Mm-hmm. I am there to really help the community in any way I can. And I've, I've always been a vocal advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, especially for the POC community who are queer, whether that's through creative yeah. works, whether that's through government and policies, whether that's through um, talking about it um, in professional settings mm-hmm. um, in, in corporate America, because we still need it. Um, but I, I always try to incorporate um, ad- advocacy and activism in whatever space I touch, mm-hmm. because I think that's important. So, Thank you, Jane. Work. Yeah. Work, work, work. So, finally, how can people at home support the book? Where can they find it? Where yeah. can they purchase it? Oh, my goodness. There's, um, yeah, so right now, <laughs> right now, the book. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> this is not the book. This is a cat. Yeah, right, <laughs> right now, the book is on pre-order. Um, so, I think most likely by the, um, when the um, podcast will be posted, it'll still be on pre-order. So, you can find it. It's a very long link, so I'm just going to make it short. Um, if you have Instagram or Facebook, all you have to do is find me is to do at J-A-I-M-E Co. Co. <laughs> Author. <laughs> how you spell author? Y'all know. Jamie Co. Jamie Co. Author. I still go by Jaime, so Jaime Co. Author. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, my author page there. You can find my author book community. You know, please give a like, follow. Um, totally fine. Um, and then the link to my Indiegogo campaign for my pre-order is there in the bio. Um, it's a very long link, so I don't want to make y'all. Uh, Sat on it, but <laughs> so, um, so definitely, we're right now for the campaign. We're over fifty percent. We actually reached Whoa. over fifty percent this I morning, and it's only been like six days. So, so it's happening. It's, it's happening. Though. So it's I hope so. Stop! Happening. Don't jinx happening. it. Don't jinx it. But <laughs> that, 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 but that means so much to me, and I think it means so much to like queer folk, yeah, especially who are seeing that because it's like. Okay, people want to the story to be out there um, because you think you know who would think they'd want to see the story. I don't care who wants to. I want the story yeah. out there, right? And I know there are people who want the story out there, and this is proving that this is going to be a story that's going to help people. Okay. Um, it's already helped your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah for already, sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, so. Yeah, so if you just go there, you can you know pre-order an ebook copy. You can. Um, what I need to do is I need to sell at least 120 physical copies for my publisher to publish a book and that just goes with you know economics right yeah. they have to publish a certain amount to just break even um, but it's almost there um, but no pressure of course and if you know you can't we're in, we're in <laughs> no, a, y'all no, no, no. Y'all we're in a pandemic so I understand 100% if you can't I get it. It's totally fine. However, you're at home, and guess what? What else to do than educate yourself, be an ally, and support Jamie Co. Author? Well, there are free resources, so that's fine, too. But I don't want to pressure anyone because I think, again, like, I'm also looking this from a state of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. I, I am privileged enough to write a book. I'm privileged enough to be in a state where I have a full-time job, and I'm working from home. So I understand that, and I understand that everyone has that. And so it's true. Any, you know, even if it's just a share or a like, that means the world to me. Or even if you just tell somebody about it. Like, hey, you know, like, I, I listen to this podcast and we don't do it. And there's a book <laughs> yeah. coming out. And, you know, you, you recommend it to someone who may need the book. That's something, right? So um, word of mouth is even just great for me. Um, but it does not need to be, you know, a dollar purchase. Wow. Um, but I am donating, you know, a percentage of the sales. Even if I don't make the sales. Because out of my own pocket money, I am donating um, 20%. So 10%. 
to I think the Black Trans Femme Collective, um, and into the uh, Sabokan, which is the uh, Unity of Labad Woman Group in the Philippines, which are the Indigenous uh, community, which I think they still need more funding for. Um, so that's just like where I'll be donating for the sales and stuff. But that's you know I'm going to do it anyways, regardless if I reach the goal or not. Um, so Walking the talk, and yeah. for being the literal heart of wait, don't do it. Oh, we're going to present you with a little token of our appreciation. Oh, my God! Stop! You did not have to. So we are so excited that you came, that you wanted to be a part. Letting salamat. Let thank you very much. What's that again? Maraming salamat po. means thank you very much. How do you say you're welcome? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm Google it. I'm going to say Donata. Well, in, in, the, in, in my area, we also speak Spanish. So. Oh. oh but not everyone does. <laughs> but not everyone does, of course. You know, like, again, because not everyone in the Philippines is, you know, Hispanic or yeah. has, you know, so it just depends on the area. Zamboanga City is known as Asia's Latin. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> so, oh. you know, I definitely have ties to... My Asian and Hispanic side from there. So only Danata. That's fine too. Danata, Danata, honey. Well, we get to wrap up another fabulous episode of Way Don't Don't Do Do It It with our special guest, Jamie Co. Author. Make sure you buy, pre-order, and tell a friend because this is going to be an impactful story that's going to change the world. (laughs) Till next time, it's your girl Nini Paris, and I'm Rafi. And we'll see you soon. Adios. Now to get some tea. Bye. About those grinders.